Welcome to Kishwaukee Bible Church. Welcome again to Kishwaukee Bible Church. We're glad that you could join us in the midst of all life's uncertainties. We understand for those who, who felt it best to, to stay home today and, and are ourselves, even as a leadership team, like Mike said, weighing uh, what we're going to do as a body in the days ahead. But, but, but again, are glad that we can be together, at least for today, to, to turn our eyes to God and at this time to turn our ears to the hearing of God's Word. And to an especially timely word from God's own Son as we, we pick up in this series on Jesus' upside-down kingdom, a, a series in which Jesus has been laying out just how different it is to, to live as citizens of his kingdom than to live merely as citizens of this world, whether that's with how we practice our piety or whether or not we pile up earthly possessions or as we're going to see today, with whether or not in the face of uncertainty, we plunge into panic, apprehension, angst, anxiety. You ever end up there? Is that where you end up going? I know that's where I end up going sometime. Well, that's what Jesus is going to speak to today as we pick up in this Sermon on the Mount in Matthew chapter 6, beginning in verse 25. And if you have a Bible, I invite you to turn there and to follow along with me as I read, again, from Matthew chapter, not 5, but 6, chapter 6, verse 25 through to the end of verse 34. Jesus has just gotten done imploring his followers not to lay up for themselves treasures on earth, but to lay up instead treasures in heaven, if for no other reason than that they cannot serve both God and money. Well, this is what Jesus says next. This is God's word. He says, Therefore I tell you, do not be anxious about your life, what you will eat and what you will drink, nor about your body, what you will put on. Is not life more than food and the body more than clothing? Look at the birds of the air. They neither sow nor reap nor gather into barns, and yet your heavenly Father feeds them. Are you not of more value than they? And which of you, by being anxious, can add a single hour to his span of life? And why are you anxious about clothing? Consider the lilies of the field, how they grow. They neither toil nor spin. Yet I tell you, even Solomon in all his glory was not arrayed like one of these. But if God so clothes the grass of the field, which today is alive and tomorrow is thrown into the oven, will he not much more clothe you, O you of little faith? Therefore do not be anxious, saying, What shall we eat, or what shall we drink, or what shall we wear? For the Gentiles seek after all these things, and your heavenly Father knows that you need them all. 
But seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness, and all these things will be added to you. Therefore, do not be anxious about tomorrow, for tomorrow will be anxious for itself. Sufficient for the day is its own trouble. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we ask today that you would quiet our hearts and tune our ears to hear your word. That you would speak over the commotion and confusion of these days, a, a word that only you can. A word of calm, cool, composure. A call to trust in you and you alone. Not because the days are not as bad as they seem. But because as bad as they are, you are bigger. And proved yourself bigger already in the person and work of your son Jesus. In whose name we pray. Amen. Well, as of this morning, the World Health Organization cited nearly 160,000 confirmed cases of this novel coronavirus, most of which have been from mainline China, but by tomorrow, most likely, will have become just as prevalent in other countries besides as the number of cases worldwide closes in and catches up even as that number continues to grow day by day by the thousands and tens of thousands and perhaps soon more than that. So much so that, that the accurate reporting of cases both here in the U.S. and abroad has become difficult to keep up with. And yet all available data suggests that this is in fact the pandemic it has been labeled. A widespread infectious disease it is no longer contained in one country or region, but has spread across the world and with an exponential effect, has an exponential effect on the global community. Yes, a controllable pandemic for which the director general of that World Health Organization continues to advocate a posture of containment, not merely mitigation, but a pandemic nonetheless. Again, an infectious disease that being highly contagious has now spread from its epicenter in Wuhan, China, to now over 142 different countries with over 1,600 cases in the U.S. alone confirmed in 46 of our 50 states, the results of which, especially for the elderly and most vulnerable of our society, have been deadly. And its effects have been felt just about everywhere, from Hawaii to Honduras, Hong Kong to the Holy See, the Holy City, the Vatican. So that, some have projected the outbreak cannot be contained, will not be stopped, and will continue to take its toll until it has run its course through the whole 
of humanity. Not that everyone will die, but that no one will escape the risk. And the pandemic has therefore turned into pandemonium. Wild, irrational, senseless confusion. With toilet paper, of all things, flying off the shelves and canned goods nowhere to be seen. And reports even of drive-by robberies at hospitals where the perps aren't going as you'd expect for the prescription drugs, but running out with the rubber gloves. Bottles of hand sanitizer. I kid you not. So that the only ones at this point who don't seem to be panicking are the preppers who, who already stockpiled that stuff years ago. Not to say that it's wrong to wisely prepare for such things, to wisely react to such things, but to say that we've clearly at this point crossed the line. To quell the commotion, though, maybe not of the world around us, but at least for those of us gathered here Today, I want this morning not to look at the mounting medical evidence that suggests we may have passed from responsible preparedness into irresponsible recklessness. I want to look not at what doctors and physicians have to say, but at what the great physician has to say about, yes, the anxiety that hangs over this particular problem but even broader about the anxiety that hangs over even our more basic problems. In the face of which, Jesus says, do not be anxious. Do not be anxious. Not even about the regular stuff, the stuff that makes life possible, about your life, Jesus says, or what you will eat or what you will drink, nor about your body and what you will put on. And Jesus grounds this appeal in two illustrations, two pictures from the world around him as he encourages us to consider the birds and the flowers. Don't you just feel calmer already to consider the, the birds and the flowers? These are the doctor's orders. Again, to consider the birds of the air and the flowers of the field, to, to stop in the midst of all the chaos and to smell the roses and to do some bird watching as well. And that's what we're going to do this morning as we consider each of these illustrations in turn, beginning with the birds, which is where Jesus takes up the first side of our most basic worries, those related to our life, with what we will eat and what we will drink. Jesus' prescription in verse 26 is to what? Look at the birds of the air. 
They neither sow nor reap nor gather into barns, and yet your heavenly Father feeds them. Are you not of more value than they? Look at the birds, Jesus says. You ever do that? Kath has a bird feeder that we put up each spring just outside the, the kitchen window. We actually put it up last week. Now it's covered with snow again. But when the sun does finally come out and the birds come back, it, it's a pretty amazing thing to watch as all sorts of birds show up. Red bird, blue bird, old bird, new bird, one bird, two bird, and a whole lot of birds. But of all the birds that, that fly in and out of, of this sort or another, do you know the one thing they have in common? Not a one of them seems to be worried. Sure, they're doing their bit. They're out of their nest, flying around, looking for food. They're not like those vultures in the jungle book sitting on some branch asking, what are we going to do? I don't know. What do we want to do? What do you want to do? I don't know. What are we going to do? Not like that. No, these birds are at least doing something. But to Jesus' point, they don't do nearly as much as we do. They're not sowing or reaping or gathering into barns or stuffing money into an IRA or a Roth IRA or a 403B or a 501K. Not to say that's wrong, but they don't do that. They don't do nearly as much as we do. They're not hoarding especially to, to survive the next apocalypse or doing so at the expense of others. And yet, what does Jesus say? Your heavenly Father feeds them as they live day by day instinctively trusting their creator that the sun will rise again and there will be food enough to find when it does your heavenly father feeds them the point, though, is not that the, the birds would be our paradigm, that we would live as day-to-day -day as they do, giving up our sowing and our reaping and our, and our storing in barns or whatever that looks like for you. That's not what Jesus is saying, but that compared to them, who, who not only do so little, but are comparatively worth so little, how much more will God provide for us? those made in His image as the climax of creation. How much more will God provide for us? Not to mention how much more reason, how much more of a track record we have to trust Him. The parallel passage in Luke really brings this out when Jesus doesn't just talk of the bird's in general, but of the ravens. Ravens were a, a particularly unclean kind of bird for the Jews of Jesus' day. Maybe we would talk today of pigeons. I remember standing outside Notre Dame Cathedral in Paris when Emmett was four or five and we were still on our adventures overseas and some guy dumped a handful of rice into his hands, and within 30 seconds, he was covered with, with pigeons, with filthy, 
foul, foul, for whom God was even at that moment providing. But if God provides for even the pigeons, even for the ravens, whether by the rice of some random guy in Paris or by something else entirely, perhaps by, by their going out and, and as the early bird getting the worm. The point is this, how much more will God provide for you? So much so that not trusting God for your needs can be as much an affront to God as going after your every want. Because on the one hand, you're devaluing the giver by overvaluing the gift. That's what we saw last week. But here, on the other hand, you're doubting the giver in your distrust of whether there is even a gift. But if he provides for the birds, how much more will he provide for you? You know, in Jesus' day, birds were considered too trivial a thing to even pray about. And yet a single sparrow wouldn't fall to the ground outside of God's notice. How much more will God notice you? And on top of this, verse 27, Jesus says, which of you, by being anxious, can add a single hour to his span of life? That's a side to this too, right? Which of you can add a single hour to his life? The, the idiom here is actually not, not of an hour of time, but of a, of a step forward, a milestone to one's life. Who, who can go one more inch than when God says, that's it? Because there's always that chance that running out of the hospital with all those rubber gloves that you're going to get hit by the next ambulance coming in. It could happen, right? Not, not to be disrespectful, but seriously, you just don't know. And the point is that, too, is in the hands of the Father. What you eat and what you drink and how long you live, your life. So get out your binoculars and do some bird watching. Look at the birds. And second, look at the flowers. Stop and smell the roses and then look at them. This is what Jesus prescribes next as he, he turns from addressing the worries about our life to, to the worries about our bodies, from what we will eat and what we will drink to what we will wear, what we will put on. Beginning in verse 28 when he asks, and why are you anxious about clothing? We know about clothing from last week, that, that it was in Jesus' day among the, the treasures many would lay up on earth. But here, this isn't about opulence really, it's just about having a shirt on your back, a pair of pants to put on in the morning, a set of socks with less than three holes in them. It's about simply making ends meet. But even here, Jesus says, why are you anxious? Not why do you care 
Or why are you concerned? But why are you anxious, as in overly worried or unduly concerned, as in up at night and unable to sleep, as if you're the only one who cares, and as if God doesn't care at all? Why are you worried like that? After all, Jesus says, consider the lilies of the field, how they grow. They neither toil nor spin. Yet I tell you, even Solomon in all his glory was not arrayed like one of these. In all his kingly splendor, Solomon, who was hailed as as one of the wealthiest men on earth, the guy who had it all, a house twice as big as God's, a storehouse with the finest goods the world had to offer, who had a concubine for almost every night of the year and a wife for each night for the next two, whose servants' clothes were enough to impress even the queen of Sheba, the actual queen of Sheba, yet whose splendor, whose glory, Jesus says, pales in comparison to the flowers of the field one of my favorite things about spring, the flowers and, and watching our girls especially pick their bouquets. Emmett goes out every once in a while and picks a bouquet, but, but mostly our girls, even if only the dandelions. And yet, as Jesus says, which of those flowers was ever flipping out about what it was going to wear or whether it was going to have anything to wear? None of them toiled or spun. They didn't rumple stiltskin their way into beauty. No, they just grew and outshone Solomon in the process. So why are you anxious? Because as Jesus says in verse 30, if God so clothes the grass of the field which today is alive and tomorrow is thrown into the oven, Will he not much more clothe you, O you of little faith? You who so quickly run after the things you don't need and so easily discount God's care for the things that you do. If he clothes the grass here today, mowed down tomorrow, every other week if you're like me, Will he not much more clothe you? You of little faith. Me of little faith, who Jesus will compare in verse 32 to those who don't know God at all. To the Gentiles, who he says, seek after all these things. Even though what? Even though our Heavenly Father knows that we need them all. Just like with that prayer that Jesus taught us to pray earlier in this chapter, where he said that that, that we don't need to pray like the Gentiles. Again, because our Father knows what we need and knows it before we ask. Our Father, our Daddy, who's always thinking about this stuff more than we are, right? Right? 
I mean, that's what good dads do. While you're supposed to be sleeping at night or being a kid carefree and unconsumed, growing in responsibility, yes, but, but not bearing all that on your own. Why? Because dad's already got this figured out or is in the process of figuring it out for us. How much more our heavenly father already, more than any of us ever will. If you're a mom or a dad yourself today, those sort of thinking, yeah, that's right, that's me, that's why I worry, yes, right, that's my job. Jesus wants you to know just as much, though, you're still a child, too. God's child. And as much responsibility as you've taken on, you're still a child compared to Him. So don't what? Don't seek these things like those who don't know him don't seek in the sense that food and drink and clothing become together the controlling factor of your life not just what drives you to responsibility but what you're ultimately after and on which you base your ultimate satisfaction which by the way is why if god isn't part of the equation this is what we run after and it's what the world runs after, wants that are simply variations of our basic needs. This is what gives in to pandemonium. You know where that word came from? It was John Milton who coined it in his Paradise Lost, talking about the capital of hell from which all demons, pandemonium, from which all demons come, completely devoid of God, where he's out of the equation entirely. This is where that comes from, where our needs, our basic needs become our ultimate wants. You ever notice that? Because when it comes to putting together our wish lists, whether that's on Amazon or just in our heads, we are not very creative. We are not, right? We need clothes. We get clothes. What do we want more of? Clothes and a few closets to put them in. We need food. We get food. Where do we go to eat? Back to the China buffet where we can't possibly eat all that is there. We want drink. We need drink. Hydration. But then what do we ultimately go after? Libation. And it's the same for sex and money and rock and roll. Always more of the same because without God, we turn our basic needs into our ultimate wants. Until we end up the king of our castle with our 700 wives and our 300 concubines and our house that is twice as big as God's, our closets full of clothes and our pantries full of food, and we realize it was, in a sense, all for nothing. Because not only does it never really satisfy and is outshone by even the flowers of the field and the birds of the air, by the unassuming beauty of the flowers for, for which they neither toiled nor spun, and the calm, carefree, unconsumed contentment of the birds who were fed just the same even though they didn't have to enter the rat race to get it. 
But we realize also that not satisfying, we've also in the process lost sight of the one who ultimately satisfies. That we've lost sight of God, lost sight of, of Dad, our Father in heaven, to whom we were supposed to be looking for such things and trusting for such things and recognizing as the giver of such things. Which is why after the two illustrations of looking to the birds and looking to the flowers, these two illustrations about the needs of life and the needs of the body and our anxiety over them, why after these two prescriptions to to, to again stop and smell the roses and see the roses and to, and, and to watch the, 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 the red and the blue and the old and the new, the birds come flying by. Why Jesus finally says in verse 33, but you, what? Seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness and all these things will be added to you. The kingdom, the reign of God on earth. The kingdom come on earth as it is in heaven. That for at least the moment is meant to come in our own lives. Seek it first. And the righteousness, this righteousness that Jesus has been on a kick on since way back in chapter 5. This righteousness, the living rightly before God, that goes with it. Seek these, and all the rest will be added to you. When rather than anxiously seeking after them, seeking after life and the things of life and the things of the body, in this upside-down kingdom, we seek after and concern ourselves most with God and with the things of God. And then leave the rest up to him. Leave the rest up to dad. The example of which we see most, not in those birds of the air or in those flowers of the field, but in the one who made them and sustains them and came to redeem them. As God's instrument of creation, that then stepped into creation to redeem creation and came to seek that kingdom for all of us by not only trusting God and showing us what it looks like to trust God, but by coming into our world and trusting God even beyond those needs, by giving up all his needs, even his most basic needs, his life and his body given up for us and broken on our behalf to show us that even our basic needs for which we're supposed to trust God the most, that even these are not ultimately what life is all about. And that the kingdom can be sought, ought to be sought, even at their expense. Even when God in his fatherly wisdom decides to withhold such things, 
even when our basic needs are not met or are threatened by our fellow man or by some threat to mankind. He shows us what it looks like to seek God's kingdom nonetheless. Why? Because those needs will be met someday in spades. Even if they're ultimately met on the other side of death. Because the momentary affliction we face today will compare nothing to the life we someday know in Him tomorrow. When that kingdom does come and His will is done on earth as it is in heaven. Jesus paved the way. And Jesus made trust like that. Trust beyond the grave possible. Let me leave you with just a simple thought. One simple thought. On this most recent threat to our basic needs, and you can then take that and apply it to whatever other anxieties you may have. Here it is. And it's not mine. It's Jesus thought, do not worry. Do not be anxious. Not because you don't care or aren't concerned or aren't doing what you can, but because you know you can't do everything and are ultimately dependent on the only one who can So do not worry. Do not be overly consumed or unduly consumed so that the things of this world which will all pass away do not distract you from the things that will not pass away from God and the things of God. Which maybe means that when you're going into Walmart, that you're not headed for the toilet paper unless you really need that. Maybe it means instead that you head to the, the bird food aisle and grab a bird feeder and put that outside your kitchen window. I know I do the dishes a whole lot more when that bird feeder is up. Maybe it'll be the same for you so that you can watch these Little creatures that that are not worried like us. And yet what? Are fed by the hand of our Father in heaven. That as the birds come back after this snow melts hopefully tomorrow and the, the life of spring follows on the heels of the death of winter, even as we look forward to the celebration of the resurrection as the greatest example of life after death. Looking at that, your faith would be stirred in the resurrection and the life who will one day swallow up all of death. Or maybe it's a window box rather than a tissue box so that you can even in the days ahead watch those flowers grow while this world falls further and further into a frenzy around you. But those flowers won't. 
because they are dependent on their Creator and implicitly trust Him for their every need, even blooming beyond the death of next winter. Just as you can trust Him too. Not because the worries are not real. This isn't some Bob Marley, don't worry, be happy sort of thing where you sort of smoke away the anxiety. No, but because the worries of this world, no matter how big they get, are not the ultimate worries of those of us living as citizens of another. For us, our primary worry, our primary concern, our primary care is not to be about the spread of the coronavirus, but rather about the spread of that kingdom which will someday come on earth as it is in heaven and is meant to begin spreading in our lives right now. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, I pray it would be so. I pray that as we continue to watch the news and, and listen in to the latest reports and what's happening and, and what's going to happen next and, and continue to prepare our, ourselves and, and to take that seriously, not be like those vultures in the jungle book, not knowing what to do, what we're going to do, what we're ever going to do. But as we do that, that we would nonetheless put our hope, put our faith, put our trust ultimately in you and your son Jesus Christ who's paved the way beyond the grave so that none of this can touch us in the same way anymore. I pray it would be so and I pray it would be now for us, your children. Amen. for joining us. For more information about our church, please visit our church's website at kishbible.org. That's K-I-S-H-Bible.org.